Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This is the third week of our series, Inside Out Kingdom. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's next steps. series we've talked about during Christmas and the last couple of weeks and we'll kind of wrap it up next week but the idea that the kingdom of God what what God gave us through the birth of his son Jesus and what the Christmas season is all about uh, is to give us a savior but not just a savior but someone who once we believe in him once we put our trust in him and say yes you are who we're going to rely on for salvation that it also gives us a purpose in life And the purpose of Christianity is not simply to focus on the inside and keep it here, but it is to to spread outward. And it was to change who we are, that way we will live differently on the outside. That way it can change uh, the way we view the world uh, in our life and in our church and uh, and in our community. That way we will go outward to reach others. It is not about holding what we've received, it's about giving it. We started the first week that it's better to give than receive, and uh, you know, last week we continued to talk about, you know, the idea of, of sacrifice and, and, uh, and, you know, and having to, to give and to work and, and even deal with struggle. And this week I want to talk about how that persistence grows our faith. Um, you know, and I, uh, that, that video by Janelle, by the way, who I've talked to countless times about what she's gone through, and that's probably the most detail I've ever heard because if you've ever asked Janelle over the past few years, everything, yeah, I'm doing fine. And until you finally get her to say, well, no, I almost died this week. Um, and because she always has that disposition of I'm just going to keep going forward, even though there's days that she'll admit that that's tougher than others. But to see that story of faith and persistence and and how uh, you as a, a church family have been able to bless her, and, uh, and that is uh, something special. But persistence and, and truly deep faith, it, we're going to look at two stories uh, just real quickly. Uh, I would love to spend you know, time on, on all of it, but we're going to look at the difference between the shepherds and the wise men because you have two very different journeys. One is literally walking across town, and one is traveling across multiple countries. One of them is receiving a message and a miracle right in front of your face, and you just go. And then one of them is dealing with hundreds of years of prophecy uh, with nothing to confirm it. Uh, You're just going off faith to to say that I still believe that that's going to happen, even though I'm seeing no confirmation or no results. And so we're going to look at these two different, you know, ideas. But some of y'all already are going to face tough challenges this week. I mean, you're going to face some very difficult things. Jessica and I have been through some tough things in life. We've already got through kind of this one period of life where you have to, you know, face these difficulties. But some of you have small children. And tomorrow is December 20th, which puts you in the same front number as December 25th. And they're going to start asking because they don't know calendars. They don't remember that. They're saying, so what day is Christmas? And you're going to explain it's the 25th. And they'll say, what is today? Then you're going to work on math, and then you're going to count down, and they'll realize it's five days, four days, three, and it's coming real fast. And all of that is going to lead to what is going to become a stressful moment when they ask, can we open a present yet? Because you've probably already got presents under the tree. And so they'll hit that age. When they're real little, they don't really care, no too much. But they hit that, you know, that, that sweet spot where they become whiny. 
and they want a gift now, and they do not want to wait. And so they ask you, can they have a present? And they may be real nice about it on day one. But day two comes, and they start really twisting it, and they will become mad, and they'll become whiny. Then they will beg. They will beg, and they will cry. It may get into a full-blown fit. Why can't we just open one today? And so uh, Luke's well past that because he knows that, uh, that I'll throw him in the fire. Um, and so he doesn't ask. Parents do that one time, and it's over. It's over. So uh, you want one today? All right. You can see what it is while it burns. Um, and it's done. Done for the rest of their life. Um, anyway, there's counseling. It's okay. It's fine. Um, but we can't stand to wait. We all want instant fulfillment. The worst is, is when we can see what we want. It is right there. We know exactly what we want. And the great thing about it is at Christmas, that box that they want may be socks. But they don't know that, and they don't care. They just want to open a gift desperately bad. Now, some of you kids, parents, hopefully you, you, you won't figure this out the hard way. You never put a kid gift in a bag, right? They're going to peek. You will go to sleep at some point. They will peek. They will find out. Kids, don't ever think that you can peel away the tape and open just enough of it to find what's inside. The tape doesn't stick back. It doesn't. And if you add more tape, your parents will know. Possibly from experience, I can tell you this. It wasn't pleasant. Um, so, you know, parents, you will have to face all this this week or you can just give in and buy a Lego advent calendar where they get one tiny little gift for 24 days. That's what we did. We, we buckled. Buckled under the pressure. But the reason they want it is just because small children show us the best, most purest form of our nature. We all want what we want. We don't think about anything else other than what we want, and what we want is now. Whatever it is, we want it now. We, we don't like to wait. We don't like to work. We don't like to, the suspense. We don't like you know, what uh, brings us, you know, happiness or what we think will bring us happiness being delayed whatsoever, we want it now. But faith, you will find, that comes easy, is not as strong as the faith that is built over time. The faith that comes from everything just working out perfectly and being simple is nice. And trust me, we all want those moments. When you look at today's story, I'd rather be the shepherd than the wise men. I absolutely but I can tell you the faith it took to be the wise men was, was deeper. It was deeper and it was stronger and it was more long-lasting. And so Hebrews in chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And so the faith that simply comes by seeing and reconfirming what we already believe or that we haven't struggled with an idea, we haven't struggled with doubt, we haven't struggled with anxiety, we haven't struggled with depression, we haven't struggled with any of those things. We just, boom, everything that we were hoping to get magically just happens for us. Well, that is nice, it is great, it is wonderful, and it can reconfirm what faith we already have. But the faith that comes through struggle, through patience, through persistence, through waiting... And believing all the while in something we cannot see. That faith, at the end, when it is rewarded, becomes so strong that it is very difficult to be shaken. And so, in Luke chapter 2, we're going to start with the story of the shepherds. In verse 8, it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. 
But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And it was just as the angel had told them. Now, I want to be the shepherd. Why? Because the only period of time that they had to wait between hearing the promise of God and seeing it delivered, literally, seeing the baby there in the manger was as long as it took them to walk from the outside of the city into Bethlehem and go through the handful of stalls until they found a baby instead of a horse. That's all it took. They weren't looking for anything. They weren't really trying to find the Messiah or anything else. They weren't struggling in their faith. They were just doing their job, going about their life. Now, I've preached sermons on the shepherds before and everything else, and you know, I've talked about how that someone who was a shepherd by profession typically wasn't looked on kindly in society. And even if you were the absolute best person in the world, while you were a shepherd, you were ceremonially unclean. Now, these shepherds, very possibly, and it, it, I may do a sermon on it at some point, um, according to Jewish law, sheep um, may not have been allowed, flocks may not have been allowed in or near the cities. They were necessary to be in the wilderness. But this one was in between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, or is right around Bethlehem, just miles from Jerusalem, not the wilderness. Um, so if that is all true, a lot of people believe this is probably the temple flock that was being held and raised there close to the temple for the sake of sacrifices. And so if that's true, these shepherds may have actually been priests that would be on a rotation to keep them. And so it wasn't just about raising sheep for shearing and to keep them alive. They also had to watch if this was to be a temple sacrifice. If it had a blemish, it was gone. If it got a broken leg, it was gone. If it got cut or scratched, it was gone. And so they weren't just normal shepherds here keeping this flock. They had to every day be thinking about the perfect picture of a sacrifice. And so when they were told about Jesus, it, it would make a lot of sense for us, not to them, but for us that the people entrusted with making sure the sacrifice is ready are the ones the angel came and told. No matter how you look at it, People, even if these were priests, even if these were the most special lambs in the world, um, you wouldn't expect that the announcement of the Messiah would come to them, that it would come to somebody higher up, somebody with some authority, some leadership. But God came to them, and what I want us to realize today is that theirs really was a celebration. Now, if they were priests and if they were taking care of the flock, then they also would have been looking for the Messiah. They were at least Jews, close to Jerusalem, so they knew about the Messiah. And so when an angel appeared among them 
and told them this message. All right, that's interesting. When an angelic host in the sky starts singing, it gets real interesting, real fast. And it goes from this is a neat story to this is absolutely true, confirmed before we even see the baby, to let's go find this baby. And so for the shepherds that night, it reconfirmed what they already believe, right? I mean, you're sitting there, and, and let's say that they were raising the flock that would be sacrificed in the temple, and you were looking for the Messiah. This just confirmed. I mean, angels in the sky, it kind of does that for you. And so I would love to be them. I would love to go from the moment of when I hear about something great that God wants to do in my life or when I pray about something difficult that I want God to handle for him to take care of it that night, right? That's why we all pray, because we want it taken care of then. We want it to happen then. But then you have the wise men. The wise men who, if you want a timeline, accurate nativity scene, it all depends on how big your heart is or wherever you put it, but you can put the wise men like further over to denote that it may have taken them a year or two to get there. But that's fine. If they're in the manger, that's okay. I really don't care. It takes a better picture if they're in there with the shepherds. But the wise men didn't arrive that night. They arrived later. They arrived later when the baby Jesus was a child. And how they even knew to get there is something I preached on five years ago, and I've referenced it again. Um, And I'll preach that sermon again, too, because I just love it. And uh, if you've been here more than five years, you'll hear it again. But I love this, and I'm just going to give you the basics of it real quick. But they were given a prophecy that wasn't their own, but yet they looked for it and believed it more than the Jews. They looked for it and believed it even more than the Jews did. So in Daniel chapter 9, it says, A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness. To confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. Now we're going to read verse 26 in a second, but just to kind of give you the idea when you read these prophecies and especially you know, when it talks about these sets of seven, um, prophecy is always hard enough to understand, but especially when they talk about measurements and uh, other things differently than we do. And so, whereas, say, if we talk about lengths of time, we look at, say, a decade, right? We talk about, you know, what decade were you born in? We name decades and things like that. To a Jewish person, everything was seven. Started with seven days a week, and then it went to every seven years, it's a heptad, and they every seventh year, um, they would have a Sabbath year where they would allow the, the land to not uh, to go fallow and just grow what it grew, but not to be cultivated. Every seventh set of seven, every 49 years after that, was a year of jubilee. And so they had sets of seven or heptads is how they measured things. So it was obvious to them, you know, about 3,000 plus years ago, that what Daniel was talking about were groups of seven. He was talking in timelines and everything, and here we go, groups of seven years. So what Daniel is saying is that at some point in the future, in his future, the city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt. See, Daniel wrote his prophecies as a prisoner in Babylon. The Jews had been conquered. Everything had been destroyed. They had been taken away to Babylon. 
And David was there. And, uh, and, you know, the story of David in the lion's den and all those other things. But he became in charge of um, what they called magicians and everything else at first. But he became in charge of the kings, um, more or less all of his, uh, well, prophets and things like that. Uh, because Daniel was proven to be the prophet of God. And so that was proven to the Babylonians then. But this prophecy that he gave was for the Jews... While he was in captivity over in Babylon, over in modern-day Iraq, and it said that after this period of time, or 69 sets of seven would be 483 Jewish calendar years, which is a little different than ours. But after that period of time, once Jerusalem is rebuilt, that's when the anointed one and the Messiah will come. And or actually, uh, as we'll see in verse 26, when he'll be killed. In verse 26, it says, After this period of 62 sets of seven, The anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. So, after 62 sets of heptads, after uh, 69, sorry, um, uh, uh, those 69 sets, then after that, that he will be... Uh, the anointed one will be killed. And so when this happens, um, you're going to be able to more or less measure it from the time Jerusalem is rebuilt until his death. So 444 B.C., that is the fourth and final decree. There were four different decrees given by Babylonian and Persian rulers to allow the Jews to come back and rebuild. Rebuilding the temple, reinstituting worship, rebuilding city and the walls. The fourth decree to finally rebuild all the defenses and the walls, as it talks about in Daniel 9.25, that one came in 444 B.C. Now, if you just subtract the 483 years, it gets you to 39 B.C., which is a little later than we believe the story with Jesus being crucified would have happened. The Jewish calendar is 360 days. Obviously, now that we can measure the solar system, it's 365 days, and every fourth year you have uh, one extra day on the leap year. When you take that into effect, you go from March 5th of, uh, of 444 B.C., and it puts you smack dab into March of A.D. 33, which is right when we believe the year that Christ was crucified. So when you see all of these things, you see, to me, that's the, most, that's the best prophecy in the Bible. There's a whole lot of prophecy in Revelation. There's a whole lot. There's only one that is like a 483-year-old dart that was thrown and hits its target so perfectly. Now, for us to look back at that, and you can uh, look in Nehemiah chapter 2 when the date was given, Artaxerxes, Longimanus, or anyway, there's a bunch of Artaxerxes. But uh, when he gave that, and to find out the, the years and everything else, if you want details on that, I can send it to you. But it is an amazing piece of prophecy that Daniel prophesied Jerusalem would be rebuilt. And then 483 Jewish calendar years after that, the anointed one would have come and would be killed. And appear to have accomplished nothing. And so that is such an amazing piece of prophecy. But what's so much more amazing is that the Jews kind of forgot about it. They weren't really looking for anything. But these non-Jewish people over in Babylon, over from the east, 
did. That's where you have Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2 and verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it was the time to leave. They returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Shepherds, it's easy. You wake up one day, you go to work, all of a sudden an angel appears to you. And by angel, it probably didn't have wings, probably wasn't glowing and everything else. Most of the time, when we see angels appear to to individuals, they don't even necessarily realize it's not a person until the angel does something supernatural. Now, he gives them that message, and that's great to hear. The angels in the sky singing different, way, way, way different. That's what we think of when we think of angels. And right then and there, everything in their world is confirmed. All of their faith is is solidified. They walk across and get to Bethlehem that night and see the baby. And uh, and then they go tell everybody. All right? That's, That's good. But that's easy. That is easy. It really is. When you look at their story, that is what we all want. That's what we all hope for. When we pray, that's the kind of results we expect. And if we don't say we expect them, then why are we disappointed when they don't come that way? Um, But that's what we would all like. Instant gratification. I just want to open one present today. Just one. And then guess what? We'll, We'll want to open another tomorrow. The shepherd's response in faith was simple, simple, simple. Now, imagine that you were a wise man. You were a, uh, what they would call in the Far East an astrologer or somebody else, but that you studied prophecies of different faiths and different cultures and religions. You studied the stars. You studied all of that. And you know, right, you know that this Jew named David, who y'all had captured and brought to Babylon, gave these amazing prophecies to Nebuchadnezzar and to others that miraculous were huge supernatural events, things that came true. All this stuff that David talked about, you know, a thousand years ago, it all came true. And so you haven't been waiting for 400 years. You've been waiting since the time that David wrote this down and believing that this is going to come true. And then Jerusalem is rebuilt. And you're like, oh, after hundreds of years of wait, finally the city's been rebuilt. Let's start the clock and let's count down 483 Jewish years. Let's start the clock. Okay, 
that looks easy in hindsight for us to say that if we were there and we had heard about these things from David hundreds of years earlier, that then we would have faith that it was all about to come true 483 years later. Maybe, maybe, if you were there when Jerusalem was finally built, that would mean something to you. But what if you're at year like 250? You're at year 250, your kingdom has fallen to another kingdom. You still have these prophecies, and you still have heard about all these things that David said that came true, but you've seen nothing. The people a generation before you have seen nothing, and two and three generations of that, they've seen nothing. You're waiting 483 years to see if this comes to pass. Finally, finally, somebody now shows up and remembers, and maybe they all remembered, but that they are nearing that time when the promise of the anointed one, the promise of this Jewish king was to come true. And then you have to decide that you're going to pack up your camels, that you're going to travel multiple countries, risk looking like an idiot to show up and say, hey, where's your new king? We saw the star. All based on what David said so long ago. That is faith. And it was faith from a group of people who aren't even God's people. But they had heard the prophecies and they believed and they stuck with it and they showed up. Now, that is the difficult kind of faith that we should all want. Because that faith not only is rewarded, but it is strongest. It is strongest. A faith that has to endure doubt, a faith that has to endure prayers not going answered immediately, a faith that has to endure difficulties and struggle, a faith that has to endure some of your prayers not only not being answered, but what you were praying about even got worse. And you still believing that God is listening, God is hearing, and that God wants to answer. He just didn't answer right now. That kind of faith, that persistence over time, that staying true to what you believe, even when it's hard and tough to believe. Even when you have moments of doubt where you question your faith and you question your belief and you wrestle with it. When the answer comes, that faith is so much stronger than the easy path that we all want and hope for. Now, for myself, I want some easy days, right? I want some of those easy days where my prayers are answered, where things go well, where I'm not even looking for God to step out and do something, and he does it anyway, and it just, it just makes me feel confirmed and good about who I am and who I believe in. I want a few of those. I would say sometimes we need a few of those, but they will be, at most, few and never promised. Because God and the way that faith works and the way that we can grow stronger in him is not promised to be easy or simple. It's not even promised to be answered in our lifetime. For generation after generation after generation of people that handed down this 483-year-old target, they knew, they knew that their faith would never be rewarded. Except for the fact that they believed that staying persistent and strong in their faith would build into the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. You know, I preached a while back about the, the concept that we seem to have lost 
where we are willing as individuals to sacrifice and work hard for things that we will never enjoy, but to find happiness and pride in knowing that we can work hard and sacrifice to build a better foundation and a better life for those coming after us. That's something that used to be, I think, more in the fabric of our society than it is today. And it's also something that I think was more in the fabric of Christianity than it is today. Where we need God to answer now, and if he doesn't, then why do we keep doing this? But I can tell you, that kind of faith that's hard, hard won that we don't wait on, when, when we just throw it to the side because it's not worth the wait, then the ones coming after us won't even know. They won't even know. All it would have taken is for one little generation of people over in a country that weren't Jews to say, you know what, this David guy wasn't even our guy. I find mythology more interesting. I find the teachings of Buddha more interesting. Let's focus on those things. All it would have taken is one generation to say, you know what, we haven't heard anything about this in hundreds of years. Who even knows if this stuff will happen? Other cool stuff's happening right now. Let's focus on that. Let's go where we can get some immediate satisfaction and feel like we're being heard. And so many people run after that type of faith and aren't willing to struggle through doubt, struggle through time on what they know or should or want to know to be true, that God is God. God is God and his promises will always be true to us. You know, one of the next steps today talks about going on the sermon blog. And we have a couple of links there, links about prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled at his birth. And then other promises of God that are for us today. I, I look at things like that every once in a while just because we all have hard days. We all have difficult days. But what I pray for us this Christmas season is that we look at the story of Jesus. We realize that his birth alone fulfilled so many prophecies. And just like these individuals waited for hundreds of years, we can wait. Having already seen what God has done, already celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, and have faith in a Savior that loves us and a future that he has provided for us. I want to close this morning as we read 1 John chapter 5. There is so much testimony about who God is, about who Jesus is, about what he's done. It says, since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe that in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. As our worship team comes forward and we prepare for a time of response, as I've said, when faith comes easy, it exists, but it's not as strong as the faith that comes over time, over struggle, over difficulty. If you're here today and you haven't trusted in Christ as Savior, I want you to know everything about Christmas is to point who Jesus is, and God has testified about his son, and so many others have as well. But it is there for you to believe in or not. It, it's there to make a choice. And that's it. It is there for you to believe. And the scripture tells us that if you believe, then you have. You will be given everlasting life. And it cannot be taken away from you. All you have to do is believe. But if not, 
then that everlasting life still escapes you today. I pray that if you're here, that if you're in this holiday season, that all it talks about is that, that gift of a Savior, that if you haven't made that decision, you will today. And for those who believe in Jesus already, I want you to know that faith is rewarded over time. Not always today, right? Your struggles aren't always gonna be taken away. Difficulties aren't gonna be kept out of your path. And there may be some days that you doubt and question every fiber of your being and your belief. Those days will come and they will happen. But when you stay strong in your thought about who Jesus is and your faith in God, it will be rewarded. If nothing else, life doesn't last too long and heaven is a great reward. But I'm telling you and everyone that I know that I've heard from experience that no matter the hard things that they have gone through, that their faith is rewarded in this life. Thank you for listening. We challenge you to take some next steps this week. One, whatever is causing a test of your faith, commit to pray daily for God to increase your strength. Pray for his deliverance, but understand those answers don't always come quickly. Two, visit our sermon blog for today's post in order to read a list of promises that God fulfilled through Jesus. Know his promises always come true. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.